or, or, or the last one, <laughs> a, a suicide bomber. We're going to use a robot with a bomb to subdue a suicide bomber. <laughs> like that's what was just said in all seriousness. One, two, one, two, one, two, test, test, microphone working, yes, um, camera working, boom, yes it is, awesome, welcome to the podcast everybody, welcome to Politics Culture and some other shit, with me, Andy McGibbon, uh, hope you're well, if you're so inclined please follow me over on the Twitters, and uh, if you want to, you can lend me your support for as little as a pound a month on Patreon. So you should head over there. The link will be underneath this thing. If you're listening to this, you can also watch this. So we record this on video and head over to my YouTube channel and give it a wee like and a share and a subscribes and all that stuff. So yeah, everyone's cool, everyone's groovy. Um, Getting ready for a gig in uh, Voodoo, the Bonnevilles that is, in uh, December, 22nd of December, with Exhalers and Aquatofana, should be a great gig, and then my gig in the 29th has sold out, in my solo gig in the Sunflower, so that's really good, and then just on that as well, after the gig, um, on the 29th, Darren Matthews, friend of the show and stand-up comedian, is is has a his his monthly comedy night. Yeah, it starts at seven o'clock. So my gig will be from like between two and five, and then Darren will be around to do his thing, which is really interesting. It's more it's it's sort of like an open mic, but not an open mic type of a thing, giving new stand-ups a a shot. Um, so and it's on it starts at seven o'clock so it's a whole you don't even need and then there's a session downstairs as well so you don't even need to leave the sunflower which is what we're going to do we're going to stay there pretty much uh, all day and get fucked up yo it's going to be class so to the podcast I'm going to blast through a few things the main one you can judge by the title colonialism was it really that bad? Now, what brought me to that was a, a video popped up on my YouTube feed, and it was just that co- colonialism, uh, the, the, you know, the benefits of it. <laughs> I thought it was a joke, <clears throat> but sadly it wasn't. Um, and Douglas Murray, who is a bit of a right-wing chud, and he's talking to oh gee. oh I've closed it. I'll play the video anyway. But this guy's written books, German German colonialism and how the, the, his latest book is called German German colonialism and how um, critic critics of it led directly to Nazism. <laughs> so this is they're fucking unbelievable. Unbelievable, but wa- watching this video was very difficult for me. I struggled. I watched it, I'd, I'd go through it two or three times, and I finally made it because I knew I was going to have to watch it for this episode. I knew I was going to have to do an episode on this. 
So it's a quick seven minute video. It's I'll stop and start it as we go through it. It's very, very d disgusting is what it is. So we'll get to it. Here we go. This is awful. Uh, and what um, you, Professor Nigel Bigger, a very small number of other academics have been doing is to be inserting this information into the debate, facts, uh, interpretation. So he's talking to, this is Douglas Murray talking to the author, Bruce Gilley is the guy's name. Um, the the name of the, the show is called Uncancelled, right? Because they're all victims of being cancelled. I'm watching this video. Doesn't seem very cancelled to me. I can hear him perfectly well. Uh, and uh, listen, we'll just get to it. But even there at the start, I've got there's issues there. I'll, I'll knock that back a little, and we'll just so I'm going to struggle. <laughs> I'm going to struggle with this. I know I am, but we'll do, we'll get through it together. And I'm doing this for you. Be grateful. Go over to my Patreon. <laughs> look, look at what you're making me do. <laughs> you fuckers. <laughs> right, let's go. What I'm doing is to be inserting this information into the debate, facts, uh, um, interpretations of it, which, which seem just not to have been put in for a very long time, certainly not in the academic field. Um, so you mentioned I mean, there, are, there are sort of positives about colonialism, there are, there are negatives. Uh, what were the positives, in your view, for peoples in the countries that Europeans went to and ruled? Well, I think, right, first stop. First of all, if you're going to talk about colonialism, you're going to say, what are the positives of colonialism? You can't, you, like, he acknowledges that there were negatives. There there maybe there were some negatives to colonial. So, you, you, for me, if you're going to have that discussion, which is a bullshit discussion, there are no negative. There are no positives of colonialism. We'll go. And I'll, I'll explain a few things as he goes through here. Very selective choices that they've made. Very specific. And obviously, I'm coming at it from an Irish perspective. We were colonized. We were England's first colony, and 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 parts of us still are. Um, part of the country still is. Um, there were no positives of colonialism. And whenever you hear. People say things like, oh, you know, they built these buildings so they give us this legal system. Well, I can go through all that with you and explain how that's all bullshit. We had our own legal system, which was in many ways superior to the current, to, to the legal system that was imported. And had it been allowed to uh, evolve over uh, a millennia, who knows what it would have turned up, to, uh, it turned out to be or what contributions it would have made to the, our society as a whole. Um, so, and... We'll get to it, but he, he, when he starts the question, it, he goes, you know, we know there were some negatives. What were the positives? Well, you got to frame that. you got to say, listen, we know what colonialism did. We know what colonialism did. And they talk about European colonialism just as a blanket whole, as if it's good. The white man's burden. The great civilizing Europeans. Bollocks, complete and utter bollocks. These places that they went to, because they, maybe they, there was a, a technological advancement. I'm getting ahead of myself. Well, we'll we'll get the all that. We'll get the all that. So he's framed the question in a very disingenuous way for me personally. There, so we need to start at a very high level of abstraction because 
the, the fundamental thing is this. <laughs> you need, to, is if you need you, to start at a very high level of abstraction to answer this. So you've got to spin the shit out of this. You, you just, we're going to spin this motherfucker like a fucking engine. We're starting a lawnmower. That's what we're going to have to do. Just to be able to fucking present this racist tropes as decency. This is what they're trying to do. We're in a society which had um, a Stone Age level of technological development, had no fixed borders, had no institutionalized system of governance, um, had not yet discovered the wheel. Um, Jesus Christ. Or in some more advanced places, nonetheless, still lived in an essentially feudal system, right? With, an, with a, an, um, a very uh, entrenched elite and a very impoverished population. And you had the opportunity to be ruled by an advanced European civilization, right? Why? You had the opportunity to be ruled by an advanced civilization. Let me tell you, Dr. Bruce, this is a fact. Nobody wants to be ruled by anybody other than themselves. The Irish don't want to be ruled by the English. The English don't want to be ruled by anyone. They seem to think European Union. We, we know what they did with Brexit. She cut their noses off to spite their face. Whenever the narrative was spun and confused that this club that you were an equal member of, that you paid into, that you asked to join, was some sort of a ruling diktat. Nobody wants to be ruled. You don't choose to be ruled. And this is the level of abstraction that he's talking about. You know, you, so abstractly, if you choose to be ruled by a, 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 an advanced European civilised economy or uh, country, if you're living in some um, proto-feudal uh, society or a less than technologically advanced society, you're going to choose to be ruled. You're, no one chooses to be ruled by anyone that isn't that, that doesn't come from themselves. Now, that's not to say that some of the countries that that were colonized maybe they didn't they didn't have maybe they were technologically less advanced. Maybe there, maybe there was a cruelty. There was a slave society, or or it doesn't fucking matter. Colonization is wrong. There's no good comes from it. Would you do not want that to happen, right? So just at the level of abstraction, like civilization A, which is superior to civilization B, and I have no superior, problem using superior. The term superior. I was going to say lots, lots of people. The moment you say superior, they're going to absolutely superior, right? Because See, and that's it. so he says. Oh, I have no problem using the word superior. What do you mean by superior? What does that mean? You've got superior technology, right? Well, obviously, you have to assume that that's a given because if you're going to colonize a country in Africa, South America, or Asia, you're going to have to be technologically superior in order to do that. He talks about no fixed borders. I was listening to a podcast this morning with Aaron Bastani interviewed... Uh, <clears throat> a guy, a guy that's uh, David Graeber's last book before he died. He co-authored it, and he's just it's just been uh, released. And he talks about 
ancient humans. And basically, he puts it down. Whenever we think of these ancient humans, we think of them as being uh, as unad- un- un- unadvanced as unadvanced as us. We tend to think of them as little more than sort of primates, you know, or ancients, like 50,000 years ago. And as all this new evidence has come to light, that's not true. And none of it, none of it is true. And this is a part of the thinking that these guys have, have entropied, uh, atrophied, in, in their, they've become atrophied in their thinking. Because we have this thing that we think that we are at the pinnacle of human civilization. What we are at the pinnacle at is human production, the ability to produce goods and things, great medicines and technological advancements for sure. But is that the pinnacle? And there's new evidence coming out now suggests that, um, well, it's basically, it, it is, it's turning everything on its head. These ancient civilizations, these human brains that they had back, that, that humans had then, exactly the same as ours today. Capable of the same level of communication and speech and thought. And the idea that, the idea that you're less advanced, so therefore you deserve to be colonized, and it's a good thing to colonize you. And throughout this video, and I didn't watch it all because this is just a snippet of a longer uh, interview. Uh, I couldn't watch it, I'd actually be honest with you, but if, if I was challenged to, I would. I'm, I would be interested to know, did they talk about the, the, the toll of human life, the colonization, which is modern European colonization is one of the engines of capitalism. This is where the whole capitalism, uh, colonization, and Christianity, three C's, were they, those three driving forces together go in, take from another country. Colonization is just taken from other people. That's all it is. And that these guys are so called cancelled, weren't the victim uh, hat cancelled? Good. Superior in the sense of better technology, better health care, better education, more accountable governance, more rights for marginalized communities, especially... Oh, oh, this is the one that gets me. I'll roll him back. Check this out. Which is superior to civilization B, and I have no problems using the term superior. I was going to say, lots, lots of people, the moment you say superior, they're going to... Absolutely superior, right? Because superior in the sense of... Better technology, better healthcare, better education, more accountable governance, more rights for marginalized communities, especially women, urban development, um, technology. Especially women. Our ancient civilizations, our, our, our tribal ways of, in, in that was referred to as indigenous people today, that women had less rights. Well, I can tell you, women had more rights in ancient Ireland than they did under uh, colonialism. I can tell you that the Native American peoples of North America, the women in those societies had more rights. I'll read you a quick little um, article here. Well, actually, I can't show you it on the screen, but I'll read it for, read it for you. Um, 
Indigenous women of numerous native nations had rights, sovereignty and integrity. Long before European settlers arrived on these shores, they had complete control of their lives, maintained economic independence and marriage, and lived in a culture free from gender-based violence. While women in the United States are recognising that 100 years ago the Constitution finally recognised the rights of US women to vote, Native Nation women had political voice on this land since the founding of the Iroquois Confederacy over a thousand years ago. And today, the Six Nations clan mothers continue to have responsibility to nominate, hold an office and remove their chiefs. Just as our suffrage foremothers did before us, non-Native women have much to learn from Native women cultures. Native women and, and their centuries of experience so you see that those are all tropes we came and we brought this this technology and we were these rights and it's still going on today you still hear it today uh, the Uyghur Muslims in China that this thing that's been going no one's ever seen anything about that I, I, I follow the news closely I've never seen anything that would suggest that these people are being genocided which is what is being claimed and since when does the West give a fuck about Muslims and that's a part of all this this argument that I don't know if it comes from a, a, a guilt some sort of buried sort of Jungian guilt that's buried back there and this is how it manifests itself by trying to excuse the obvious and bountiful crimes of colonialism. But th- th- there's some reason, and, and it's always it's always two white guys that sound and talk, you know, obviously, oh, being well-educated doesn't mean you're smart. And to try and excuse colonialism, colonialism at all, and I don't give a fuck what anybody says. He's a he, he goes into a little example here, where he explains where, or where he, the the colonized almost asked to be colonized. Right now, I don't know if it's true or not. I've seriously fucking doubt it. But I don't care what anybody says. There's no good comes from colonialism because what you lose, you can't measure. You literally cannot measure it. He goes into another example about language and things, and we'll get. I'll, I'll comment on that when we get but there. Transportation, transportation um, life-saving research and science, right? Those are the things I mean. This is superior, right? And there's no objective definition, distinction between that and what's less. If you had that opportunity, what would your society do? Of course, they would, they would jump at the opportunity, which is why so much of European imperialism spread with as much pull as it did push, right? Mm. Indeed, the pull factors are often the dominating ones. The British were, were uh, went to it Ghana. Begged, it begged said, them not to be much colonized. Interested, left the Ghani kings the, demanded that they come back, begged them to come back. Finally, they did sign the treaties. Why? Because British Empire or other empires brought security, it brought stability, it brought opportunities. It brought an end to intertribal warfare, which in many cases these kings and these tribal leaders recognized was destroying their societies, mm. right? They needed essentially a hegemon. I mean, it's, it's an old Hobbesian story, but that's what they needed. So, you know, the, at a very high level of abstraction, right, I think that the onus of proof is that colonialism didn't bring 
tremendous benefits, right? I mean, just in the sense of the logic of a more superior, I mean, you don't need to use superior, more developed, right? More advanced civilization, having an opportunity to rule a less advanced civilization is so patently obvious, right? That the burden of proof that this was not a good thing, I think, lies upon those who say this was this this somehow brought bought harms, and I think that's where we then have to get into okay, what w so it's a good idea in general, right? Is was it a good idea in practice, right? No. So I just googled it there real quick, right? In eighteen twenty one, the British government took control of the British trading forts. In 1844, Fanti chiefs on the Gold Coast, as Ghana was then known, signed an agreement with the British that led to the colonial status for the coastal area. In 1902, that, that's what he's talking about. The Fanti chiefs on the Gold Coast signed an agreement with the British that led to colonial status for the coastal area, that they asked to be colonised. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig a wee bit more into that while this video was playing for you. Uh, in May 1956, Kwame, no, no, can't pronounce his name, sorry, uh, issued a white paper with proposals for the Gold Coast's independence. The Gold Coast Assembly adopted the resolution demanding independence from Britain. The British government stated it would agree to a firm date, etc., etc. Uh, 1950s, uh, Ghana became an independent state in 1957. So, if they did ask, and I seriously fucking doubt it, there's, there's got to be more to it than that. It can't just be, could you please come and colonise us? That's not what fucking happened. I know what I'm going to find out for you now, but I'm pretty fucking sure. But it, if they did, they also asked, could you fuck off? So, you know, there's that. This is where we need to talk about, like, how it rolled out. Places were better, places were worse. There were abuses here, not here. I mean, now we get into mm. what used to be the debate on colonialism, mm. which is which is let's talk about the practical opportunities, feasibility of things, things that were done well, things were done badly in particular contexts. But, but you know, this idea of a blanket condemnation mm. is just not tenable. I suppose there's two things that the uh, anti-colonialists say at this the point, which is, uh, first of all, there are, yes, that there are maybe technical anti-colonialists. That's everybody. That's everybody else, apart from you fucks. Everybody's accepted that colonialism was bad. I'm, I'm, I'm on to this, by the way. I'm, I'm hunting this, is, this out for you. And so on. But that two things occur with colonialism. One is, one is the presumption that there are people who are sort of morally better going into less morally developed societies. And the other one would be something along the lines of uh, you're instituting a form of inequality and along the lines of that, you're also along the way. You're also, for instance, um, eradicating local cultures, yes. uh, local norms. You're replacing local norms with European norms. What do you, right. what do you say to Check those this claims? Out. This All bullshit. of them don't withstand scrutiny. Um, again, the idea of, of a moral superiority is one thing that was distinctly absent in the European mission. If you take the idea of the, the, the civilizing mission seriously, right, what it implies is the moral potential, right, of mm. those you are colonizing to be exactly like you. That was very explicit, right? I, I, I am actually struggling with this. I can't believe I'm fucking hearing this in all seriousness. And, and in terms of, of um, life-saving medicines being morally superior, in the absence of life-saving medicines, yeah, I have no problems going to the mat and saying that's morally superior. It's morally superior to save lives, 
to, to uh, prevent people from being killed through violent conflicts, to give rights to people who are traditionally marginalized, that's morally superior. I have no problem with that. Most liberals would argue that too, except when you talk about it in the context of He's talking about healthcare there, right? I guarantee you he doesn't believe in free healthcare. I fucking guarantee it. It's morally superior to save lives, well, in most instances. Second of all, in terms of, of foreign norms or alien norms, don't forget, almost all the places that were colonized were already under alien rule. But it was indigenous alien Indigenous rule, alien rule. European alien rule. And we're talking mainly here about Africa. Well, you know, most places. I mean, what I mean, fuck? look at this is um, this abstraction. Look to... at the Malay Peninsula, right? I mean, basically, uh, the Malay Peninsula was a was a was a bunch of small fiefdoms, small sultanates, right? Those sultanates expanded or contracted based upon their power, right, and brought in people who had been under another sultanate. So, I mean, the idea of like indigenous rule. I mean, what is indigenous rule in a context in which the world has always been organized by mm -hmm. empires spreading as far as they can, and when they weaken, being subjugated by other empires? Mm. Uh, it is your... So, he's questioning... This is, the ab this is what he's saying. You really have to go into the abstract to get these arguments, to understand what, he, what it is he's trying to say. And if you do, you'll quite, quite quickly come to the conclusion that he's full of shit. And what is indigenous rule? And, did, well, we, and then he ex was empires roll over one another, and they do, you know, they move and they do. But all the while, people are still fighting to be in control of their own affairs. People still demand to be in the control of their own affairs. So he's excusing colonialism because that's what's always happened. Now, that isn't what's always happened, but that has happened. And he gets into culture. He says about culture, um, the colonists often save the culture. If he, he explains it in a second, but it, it's a real fucking head fuck way of thinking about things. He says, "I'll explain it to you before we get to it because it is it's coming up. It's 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 rather staggering." He says, um, "Quite often the colonists save the language from extinction." Well, if you look at Ireland. It was a colonist. No, no, no. Let's analyze that. The colonists did write it down. Our tradition and our cultures, as is most traditions, most traditions and cultures across the world, indigenous cultures were were oral, right? The most lots and lots and lots of stuff wasn't recorded formally. Christian monks recorded a lot of. Irish culture and the colonialist, colonialists did the same and thank God they did otherwise we wouldn't have a language or we wouldn't know our mythology and our, hist our ancient histories and all this sort of stuff and our wonderful culture native culture so he goes see we, it was all written down for you but it was you that was taking it away you're starting at the end and pretending that's the beginning it was them that that, 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 that tried to rob us of our culture for a fucking reason. You said, and it's the same thing that the colonialist colonialists did. It's a part of the colonialism 101. Remove the people from their culture, then they've got nothing to fight for. They've got nothing to lean into. They don't know who they are. They think they're English. It's a, it, it, this is stunning. Right. We do see when he gets now. When, so remember what I said there. 
He they're claiming credit for recording native culture, but they're the ones that were separating the natives from their culture, none more so than here in Ireland. So because they recorded it, they want credit for recording it that they were trying to destroy the thing that we were trying to. I most explicitly clear in in Is Africa it? because you can actually see what was happening at the time of European conquest. I mean, the Fulani slave empire, which was basically an Islamic caliphate of the central part of the Sahara, was spreading towards West Africa when the British came in. The reason why it was so easy for the British to establish their control in northern Nigeria was because those groups recognized the choice was British imperialism or the Fulani slave empire. Mm. And the British empire started to look very attractive compared to that. Third point, destroying local cultures. Right. Hmm. European imperialism was famous for its discovery and documentation and celebration of local cultures. Many of these languages would not have survived had not the, the usually not the colonial administrators, but the explorers and linguists and academics and researchers who came with imperialism gone and documented those languages. Like the lost languages of India. I mean, the... the ha, ha, ha. How do we know they wouldn't have survived? How do we know? Do we honestly think that the Irish language wouldn't have survived? Had the British Empire not gone to extraordinary lengths to extinguish it? If you don't speak in English, you will starve to death. Do you think they didn't do that down there? Do you think they didn't do that elsewhere? Of course they fucking did. Because that's what they do. That's what they all did. And because we record, we were we recorded it. We were famous for record, recording it for who? For yourselves, for your for your own edification. It wasn't to save it; it was to record it. Because that's the British are fantastic record keepers. There's no doubt about it. They were famous. They were famous for recording things like. But for what? What? what it wasn't because they were trying to save a thing. They were just recording a thing. Breathtaking, absolute abstraction in thinking is beyond literally twisting themselves into a pretzel to try and excuse the fucking greatest crimes of humanity. Ten million people killed by the Belgians in the Congo because they turned the Congo into a rubber plantation. Unfucking believable. The U language of Togo um, was essentially rescued by the Germans after they colonized it. And there was two or three German linguists who went out, documented those languages before they were lost, mm -hmm. created dictionaries, created um, study guides. I mean, the, the entire language would not exist but for German colonialism. Jesus they, they Christ. Principle and the language in India. Right, yeah, the, the, British, the British rediscovery of Indian heritage is well known, right? I mean, I'm, I don't need to document it, but, but, but the, the Asiatics and the Orientalists, right, were the ones who rescued and saved these cultures from destruction either by an indigenous empire or just by the forces of modernization, right? That, that they, uh, like Swahili was spreading in East Africa, it was going to be the hegemonic language. If the Germans had not documented those languages in the Mount Kilimanjaro area, 
Those languages would have been lost. Those languages would have been lost because of the col- the colonists. It's unfun. It's breathtaking. Right. So th- that's the end of the video. Thank fuck. Fuck off, you horrible bastards. That's what I'm going to say about that. Roger Casement, great Irish hero. Roger Casement was a was a journalist and a unionist as well. And he recorded. He went out and visited the Congo with who uh, Joseph Conrad, who wrote The Heart of Darkness, which is what the the film Apocalypse Now is based on. And Joseph Conrad wrote the novel The Heart of Darkness. Roger Casement wrote reports that went into the British uh, newspapers and horrified the people that of the crimes that were being committed, the baskets of hands. We spoke about this in this podcast before. The the Belgians would cut, if you didn't make your quota, they would cut your children's hands and feet off and things like that and then cut your hands off and all that sort of stuff. And one of the ways that you would collect, your, and you would get paid a bounty and you would collect a bounty based on the, on the, the and they would steal, and you would put them in the baskets at the docks and then someone would be counting them to make the payout. And, Casement recorded all this and they saw the hundreds of baskets full of human hands, body parts. And they killed, it's either 10 million or 20 million, I can't remember. But Casement basically became a celebrity journalist and um, and was knight, was given a knighthood, sir. He became Sir Roger Casement, which he obviously was, was, was taken back whenever he... Um, was arrested for trying to smuggle arms into to the Republican movement in, in Ireland way back in the, at the day, um, at the time. But uh, Casement then came back and he became a celebrity journalist and he, he, he laboured under the misapprehension, the same as everybody else did, that their colonialism, colonialism was bad, but ours was okay, ours was benign. And he still thought this. Even after he'd seen what he'd seen in the Congo, it wasn't until he went out to South, Amer- South America, I think it was Brazil or maybe Argentina, I can't remember, so Belize, probably somewhere like that. Um, and he saw, not to the same scale, but basically cruelty, cruelties and in inhumanities being carried out on the local population by the British administrators. And that's when, that's when the, 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 the scales fell from his eyes. He saw the truth for the first time. That colonialism was bad no matter what. That was when he became an Irish Republican. And that, it's, again, it's, it's one of the reasons why I admire so much people like Casement. It's okay if people living a life As an Irish Republican or an Irish nationalist, all their lives knowing that it was, but if, which is the the correct thing to do, but if you have to come to that realization right through the process, from one end of the spectrum right to the other, more or less, like our friend Ben Collins and people like that, Glenn Bradley and people like that, it's it's very admirable. It shows you. For me, it's just, there's an integrity and an honesty there. And honesty and, cl- and thought, and they're looking at the heaven and going, oh, "Yep, this is what I'm going to do now." 
This is what I think now. I've changed. The evidence has changed so so does my opinion, and it's correct. And casement obviously went through that. And what's these guys explaining away? The greatest inhumanities. I mean, talking about the the the, the, the how nice colonial, how the good was colonialism bad? Yes, was it all bad? Absolutely. Did some people act as colonists for the empire? Were they nice people to do nice things? Of course they did. The humans and not everybody's bad, but it's disgusting. And to see those examples, those cherry picked examples of. The one or two occasions where, you know, the British went to and they saw this slave empire, this, this, this Islamic slave empire on the east coast of Africa, in the North Africa. What, what, what did the British do? What, 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 what did the British do? They started the transatlantic slave. Well, they didn't start it. The Spanish started it, actually, but... They, 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 they mastered it, let me say that. And it's just sort of thing. And oh, well, the British ended the slavery. The British ended slavery. <laughs> they fucking started the fucking thing. It was the British that were they were brilliant at it. They were the ones that did the most of it. That's why loads of black people live in Jamaica. <laughs> That's why all the or, or, or black American brothers, African American brothers and sisters. That's why there's so many of them. They were all stolen from Africa by the British. And then. You know, the, the British did end slavery, that's true. Well, as far, as far as they were concerned, and they paid reparations. Who'd they pay the reparations to? The fucking slave owners. They only finished paying the debt of the, the reparations not so long back. I think, like, this century, uh, this, like, this, this new century, just into this new century. It's only just, they've only just finished paying the debt off that they paid the slave owners. It didn't give the slaves the reparations. It gave the slave owners the reparations. So, there we go. Enough enough of that. Off with you, you fucking monsters. Um, if, uh, if you can stomach the thought of watching any more of that, go for it. Let me know how you get on. I would... Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the good parts of colonialism. Jesus fucking Christ. Right. Here's an f- interesting story for you. I'm going to do this. New thing. I'm going to do that in between. So that wee noise, I'm going to do that in between um, stories. So, this is an interesting wee story, Right. So I'm going to read something to you first of all. Or no, I'll show you. I'll put it up on screen. Where is it? Did I... Oh no, I didn't even... Ugh, sorry. Let me just do this up for you. See if I can find it. Um, Yeah, that's it there. Good. So, the three laws of robotics... Concept by Isaac Asimov. So there it is on screen. I'll read that for you. Those of you that are listening to this obviously can't see that. So, the three laws of robotics, rules developed by science fiction writer Isaac Asimov, who sought to create an ethical system for humans and robots. 
Cool. The Laws first appeared in his short story Runaround in 1942 and subsequently became hugely influential in the sci-fi genre. In addition, they later found relevance in discussions involving technology, including robotic, robotics and AI. So, what are the three laws? Here they are. The laws are as follows. 1. A robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. 2. A robot must obey orders given it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. Very clever, isn't he? 3. A robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. Asimov later added another rule known as the fourth or zeroth law. Zeroth law. Zeroth law. Never seen that word in my life. That superseded the others. It stated that a robot may not harm humanity or by an action allow humanity to come to harm. Very similar to the first law, that one. Isn't it? So, why am I reading that out to you? Well, <laughs> this, is, this is nuts. You're going to get a kick out of this. San Francisco votes to approve robots to use deadly force. Yes, ladies and germs, this is for real. <laughs> the San Francisco police have just voted, been a, the council have voted to allow the police to use robots to kill, to, to use deadly force. <laughs> Only in America. You know when you see those fucking robot dog things and you see, you just know they're going to put a gun on that, didn't you? You just, you fucking knew it. When you see them, they're doing some assault course and all. You, you, you just, the first thing they're going to do is fucking arm that thing to the teeth. And sis is on Reddit, some of the comments. <laughs> I'm sure it'll work out just fine. <laughs> Who said Americans don't do sarcasm? <laughs> Somebody else says, I saw a movie about this once. <laughs> it didn't. <laughs> I think he's talking about Terminator, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Um, let me see. What else? Oh, God is going forever. Dead or alive, you're coming with me. <laughs> 20 seconds to comply. Yeah. The Black Mirror episode, episode Metalhead did a great take on the implications as well. Only currently more plausible because the machine was a dead ringer for the Boston Dynamic dogs, that's the things I was talking about, the robot I was talking about, wasn't it? That currently exists. The only thing that's missing from real life is that the AI-powered autonomous weapon, something that scares the shit out oh, right, sorry, let me just read that again. The only thing missing from real life is that it's an AI-powered autonomous weapon. Fucking hell. Something that scares the shit out of futurologists and ethicists. Ethi? Ethicists, ethicists, because someone's military will almost certainly give it a shot. Someone's military, we know who's fucking Americans. Unbelievable. Uh, somebody else says here, 
That would be an interesting side element if we get any progress on AI soon. Everyone panics at the mention of AI in the military, but it won't take long at all for militaries to make smart bot soldiers and drones if they're able to. And then it becomes a game of, well, if we don't do it, then our enemies will. Reaper drone able to pick targets and disagree with military handlers about the validity of a target individual would be a really interesting situation. Mm. It certainly would. Johnny Five is alive. So, that's a bit mental, isn't it? So, wait till you hear. I got a video here for you of one of the lawmakers who obviously voted against allowing this in San Francisco. So, I'll play this for you. It's really good. Check it out. For lots of people who are on low pay jobs, They're not chasing That's inflation. Not it. That's they're trying not to get it. a pay that is matching the cost of living because they're looking at their shopping Ooh. bills. Sorry, that's not it at all. What have I done with it? I'm going to play you that video as well in a minute, but sorry. Oh, God, I've fucked this up. Let me just. <clears throat> I don't know what I did there. Get rid of that. Do that. Thank there you, it President is. Walton. Um, I honestly can't believe what I'm hearing in these chambers and what's in this proposal. I will associate myself with a lot of um, Supervisor Ronan's comments. Um, and in some ways, you know, I had concerns when I saw this in the first place. They've only been increased by the, the dialogue that we've heard here so far. I mean, it, it's, it is a strange enough way to make policy to try to find one thing that might one day happen and then and, and then arm uh, us to, to, assuming there's no other way to deal with that other than a uh, killer robot. Um, <laughs> but what I'm hearing here, I mean, just what's being invoked is, is really, I, I, want, I want to talk about this. I mean, we are, I, I was very surprised to hear the assistant chief invoking Mandalay Bay. I mean, we're talking about a sniper in a fully occupied hotel. And, and the proposal is that the discretion granted here, even with sign-off by the assistant chief, would be to put a bomb-bearing robot to blow up that hotel i mean i just cannot believe that is seriously being suggested as an example or a sniper on an apartment building we're going to blow up the apartment building with a robot or 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 the last one a, a suicide bomber we're going to use a robot with a bomb to subdue a suicide bomber <laughs> like that's what was just said in all seriousness a robot with a bomb to subdue a suicide bomber. What's the threat that the suicide bomber poses? That they might detonate their bomb. <laughs> so we're going to send a robot with a bomb to detonate a bomb. <laughs> Seriously, though? Holy fucking fuck. America, you're drunk, go home. Unbelievable. (sighs) 
pure mad. Pure mad. So what do you think about that? Killer fucking robots. Isn't that brilliant? I think uh, we're... Um, our society is advancing at a <laughs> quite a rate, <laughs> and you know the, these things are going. It's going to happen. You know, you know they're going to happen. It's going to happen. Um, you knew that was going to happen. You know that Boston Dynamics dog is is. They're if they haven't done it already, they're trying to figure out how to put a fucking rat, rocket launcher on that thing. There is no ethics involved when it comes to these these matters. The ingenuity that man will employ to kill him, his, his, his fellow human is boundless I would say so there you go isn't that fantastic I think that's absolutely brilliant as in mental so we'll go on to the next thing So, I teased you there, I played you the video by mistake. So, Nadim Zahawi is currently <clears throat> the Minister Without Portfolio in the current Tory government. And he went on to the Sophie Ridge show, on, I think it's on Sky. And he, he had this to say. And basically, it's, we're now, well... Basically, the nur the narcissists are going to slap it up Vladimir Putin apparently by going on st by not going on strike. Check this out. Thank you, President Walton. Um, <gasps> what the fuck? There's that video again. Oh, I know what I've done. I uh, sorry. I know exactly what I've done. Played you the wrong. Yeah. All right. Okay. I got this. Don't worry. Don't worry. For lots of people who are on low-pay jobs, they're not chasing inflation. They're trying to get a pay that is matching the cost of living because they're looking at their shopping bills going up. They're looking at their, their energy bills going up. They want a pay to be reflecting how much more they're having to spend on things. It's and not about embedding inflation for them. It's about surviving. Of course, and absolutely, which is why uh, the Chancellor came to the dispatch box and delivered a £150 billion energy package. That's this, by the way, if you take that into equivalence, that's the equivalent of the whole of the NHS um, to support people's households, otherwise their energy bills would have uh, uh, spiked, to support businesses as well, uh, the money we're putting into helping those most vulnerable, uh, the 8 million most vulnerable households um, is significant. We have to come together, this is not a time to be divided, to, Check this out. I hope, send a very clear message to Mr Putin that he can't use energy as a weapon in this way, and we will remain united, which is why we've accepted accepted the pay review bodies on I guess, the NHS uh, I guess and people, on schools. You know, a nurse others. on 20 grand a year, you, you would think that maybe there are other ways of sending Putin a clear message on Ukraine rather than the fact that you're going to have to well, no, have a real term pay cut. No. I mean, <clears throat> I, it, it's beyond parity, really, and the level of um, the the... the Expecting nurses who, the, the, the way these, the wave of strikes, the, 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 we know where we are with these strikes, I'll do an episode on it soon. It's, taken a, it's happening in America as well. There's something very interesting that happened there as well, uh, just this week, last week. But to expect nurses to take what is going to be effectively, it works out as a 20% a pay cut. Um, and then to invoke 
the spectre of Vladimir Putin and his invasion of the Ukraine in order to justify offering nurses uh, a pay cut. It's it's a bit it's a bit much like, you know, we know that we virtue signal how much we love nurses and the NHS and doctors and we 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 got you know we got an applaud for them on Thursday nights during COVID and all the rest of it, which I never did, because I knew it was fucking bullshit right from the start. I can smell a rat, <clears throat> and that was our big rat. Um, you know, it's fucking horrible. It's horrible. And that that's the depth that that goblin would fucking plumb in order to justify a pay cut for some of the most valued people in our society. Yeah, it's just, it's it's desperate, desperate altogether. Fucking hate it. As everybody does. Um, yeah, so going to finish on a quick article. Two, two quick wee, two wee quick stories. I'll blast you the little theme. That's just for me, by the way. For whenever I edit these, I'm supposed to edit all these down into the little segments and all, but I never do it. But so, uh, Ursula von der Leyen is the, well, I don't know, what is her full title, actually? President, head of the European Commission. So, she's come out and she says, Ursula, here's the headline, <clears throat> this was in the Telegraph the other day, Ursula von der Leyen compares Russia's rule in Ireland, or Britain's rule in Ireland, to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. <laughs> Ooh, it's getting spicy. Very good. The head of the European Commission has rest a diplomatic spot with London by likening Britain's rule in Ireland over a century ago to Russia's bloody invasion of Ukraine. Well, I don't think that's unfair. <laughs> we, we, we're fucking colonies. We've, 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 we've discussed this. Conservative, as far as, well, I'll not go too far into it, but Vladimir Putin hasn't caused a, a famine in Ukraine just yet. Uh, and he certainly would need to go a long way before he caught up with the, how many famines the Brits caused in Ireland. It wasn't just the one, as we know. Conservative MPs were appalled by the comparison, with one saying the remarks were beyond disgusting and it seems the UK bashing is alive and well in Brussels. Oh, no. Mrs. von der Leyen made her comments during an address to a joint sitting of the Irish Parliament in Dublin to mark Ireland's 50-year membership of the European Union. That must have been awkward for... For Leo and Miha, because they wouldn't fucking say anything like that. It takes somebody else to say it, to, to, to identify it, recognise it and say it. <clears throat> she said, I would like to dwell on the five Irish virtues that will help our union to face the common challenges ahead. First, the Irish passion for freedom. This country knows what it means to struggle for the right to exist. Today, another European nation is fighting for independence, of course. Da, 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 da. And just like our friends in Eastern Europe, you know that in Ukraine there is more state. Oh God, I, I, beyond belief. Yeah, uh, on Friday, Jacob Rees-Mogg, former business secretary, told the Telegraph, "It's an extraordinary thing for Ursula von der Leyen to say, undiplomatic ways, unwise and wrong. It shows she is not entirely aware of historic circumstances." Uh, au contraire, Mister Jacob Rees-Mogg, you fucking. 
prick. Says he's all too aware of the historic uh, circumstances. The, again, another white man. You know, the historic circumstances. You invaded our country, you fucking prick. That's the that's that's it. That's the historic circumstances. Shows the ignorance of the UK's relations with Ireland and a tragic failure to understand the depths of the wickedness of Putin's invasion of Ukraine, which has led to the slaughter of innocent people. Unlike when they came here. They came with feathers and cupcakes. No one died. And anyone that did, it was from having too much fun. So, so there you go. I, yeah, I don't give a fuck. I mean, the, 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 the idea of a Tory complaining about an undiplomatic comment is hilarious. What about uh, Pretty Patel's comment about maybe we should, she should, uh, Britain should cause food shortages in Ireland in order to get us to uh, bend on the Northern Ireland Protocol whenever they were going through the negotiations? Would that be considered undiplomatic? <clears throat> Again, to use Mr. Mogg's uh, comment, the his the historic circumstance. You know, if I'm to bring the historic circumstance of why, of the of the 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 reasons the way Irish people would be offended by that and consider that statement to be undiplomatic, again, famines that some refer to as genocides, attempted genocides. So, I like that. I personally don't care. I wouldn't like to see. The rest of the world, no, I know it's different too. We've got it. We, we, the English are our neighbours, and we have to be diplomatic and all the rest of it. But my first love, Wonderland, who of, of who I am, no fan. But if that's what she wants to uh, spend her time doing, I would encourage her. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this one. No, I'll save that for the next time. There's a there's a new article there I wanted to read you, but we're we're up to about the hour now, so about this clown, Michelle Moon. I know I will. I'll read it now. Because it's it's very interesting actually. So Lou do we are we ident? So Michelle Moon this article is a hatchet job on this fuck. So she is in the House of Lords, so Lady something or other. Might might tell you actually on this. So she um So Camilla Long, she interviewed Michelle Moon. She makes every grasping lazy peer look like an angel. The moment she strode into the bar at Dorchester, I knew it was going to be great. A great, great interview. The long, tumbling, margarine curls, the dark blue claws, the quavering, edgy sense that she might say or do something completely wild. At one point, after she had cried loudly <clears throat> over her divorce from her husband, she turned beseechingly to me to wail, Why did I want to be Michelle Moon? Why did I want to start all these businesses? Why can I never be satisfied with what I've got? Why couldn't she simply be happy? When she lost six stone and invented the frontless bra, bra 
backless bra, the frontless backless bra, she moaned. A random man came up to her to tell her she was beautiful and that if you have any marriage hiccups, I'm always here. But it didn't seem to help. Later, almost absent-mindedly, she sat in the lap, sat in his lap, on the lap of his friend and accepted kisses from both of them before taking me to see her new collection where she singled out lacy red sex, sex sheath at the entrance where she right I don't know what that is I've no I'm whispered I've got no one to wear this for anymore she said okay I mangled that but it's too boring to try and repeat. I remember thinking that, are you for real? She was the most chaotic person I'd ever met. You'd occasionally come across these people like Moon in interviews. They're narcissists, obviously, ambitious, flirt, flirty, flamboyant. But there's something else, a nasty whiff, a flicker of anger, a sense that this person might lap you, might lamp you, or knife your Porsche, or threaten to punch in a group of models. A former member of staff said that while she was working for her, Moon had rounded on some girls who refused to wear thongs. As she said to me, I am very, very demanding. I am a nightmare. I've got OCD. Everything has to be perfect. The madness, the crystals, the cowering staff. For some reason, politicians dig this. Is it because they feel that by contrast, that they, by contrast, are poor and therefore boring? But it isn't long before a huge scandal engulfs them. If, like me, you're inclined to glaze over the words PPE and COVID contracts, you may not have read the granular detail of the story about Moon that appeared in the papers last week. But it is shocking, and it fucking is. Wait to hear this. With the help of her husband, an entrepreneur... By the way, she is a... She... she, she I, th- I don't know what the company's called, but she sells basically lingerie. Is but she's gotten very, very wealthy from it. But anyway, um, with the help of her husband, an entrepreneur called Doug Moon is said to have received twenty nine million from the profits of an opaque PPE business. To give you an idea of the scale of this, or to put it in blunt terms, of Tory greed, Jeffrey Robinson could buy Peter Mantleson at least seventy seven houses with that amount of money. It's a lot of pasties. The couple have always insisted they had nothing to do with the company PPE MedPro, but documents from their bank revealed last week that £65 million of profits from the company went to Doug, who then transferred a slice to a secret offshore account for Moon and her children. The reason they've always said they had nothing to do with it is that Moon used her position in the House of Lords to help the company get the contract, telling Michael Gove, among other ministers, to consider it for the VIP Fastlane, in May 2020, and that my team in Hong Kong could help. Never mind that PPE MedPro didn't even exist until five days after she spoke to the government. Never mind that it had no accounts, no profile, nothing to show for its expertise, but the contact for a factory in China. I could have done that. I could have done that. I could have gone on to Alibaba and got a contact for a factory in China to make PPE. What I don't have is access to the government, and that's what she provided. You understand how the corruption works? <clears throat> she took advantage of the chaos of COVID and ended up with and it ended up with two hundred million. 
She has continued to deny any connection, even though her actual mansion on the Isle of Man is linked to the PPE business, and there are WhatsApp messages to its staff in which Lady Michelle advised them about making the gowns from a private jet. I don't know what was wrong with the surgical garments that produced too many rhinestones, maybe. But they were unusable and now the government is seeking to recoup the money from the project, from the company. She is now the subject of a formal inquiry by the Lords for not declaring her interest in the firm and lobbying for it. The police are also said to be investigating. What is a woman like this doing in the House of Lords? She makes every single other grasping lazy peer scoffing its cheap f- f- faux gras. Faux gras? Faux gras? What's that liver patty in it? Goose liver patty? Foie gras. I can, I can barely say it. I've never tasted it. She may, uh, looked like an angel. How could it happen? If I could see within minutes that she was in trouble, why couldn't David Cameron? What was it about this weeping tower of crystal-encrusted Glaswegian cray that made him think in 2015, ooh, let's put it in the House of Lords? Vanity, I suppose, and his desperation to solve his woman problem, which extended, I think, to underestimating this knicker totty from Glasgow. <laughs> he probably thought she was too thick or too sexy to do any real damage. People make the same mistake with Angela Rayner. Moon is typical of a new breed of Tory lifestyle peers who have flooded into the upper house in the past decade. It doesn't matter who they are or what they have done, as long as they're loaded and serve some minion-like purpose to which, to whichever bored Tory Prime Minister has put them there, offering up private jets or hotels or simply a few vague lols. Moon was basically told to cover up her breasts by the Lords. Although with Moon there is, of course, Yuvani Leb- Lebedev. Yeah, that's right. Yuvani Lebedev who is so dedicated to democracy he has not even picked up his briefcase containing his letters. The official document granting his peerage from the Lord's cloakroom. If you look at Moon's track record now, it is appalling. It's not just the PPE contracts, it is the allegedly racist message she sent in 2019, in which she told a man of Indian heritage he was a waste of a, of a white man's skin. Charming. Then there was the cryptocurrency business she set up intending to raise 80 million. It scraped together 1,600 pounds after hiring a thousand people to promote it. Fuck me. She describes herself comically as one of the biggest experts in cryptocurrency and blockchain. There was the Dubai development that cratered, and let's never forget the reason I'm a baroness for life. Left labour in the first place, greed. Obviously, she didn't like its 50% top rate of tax. How does someone like this end up in power? A measly criminal inquiry does not seem enough. She's lovely, isn't she? Jesus, what a fucking horrible bastard. So, there you go. Michelle Moon, soon to to pay absolutely no price whatsoever. Without a doubt, nothing will happen to her. Hmm. You know what I say, if you can lie, cheat, steal and even kill, so long as you do it at the behest of the establishment, the worst thing that's ever going to happen to you is you're going to get promoted sideways. All you have to do is keep your fucking mouth shut, boy. So, one more thing for you. And this is Star Wars related. Are you into Star Wars? 
are you into this would be the culture for tonight's pod so the latest episode or the latest TV excuse me the latest TV show in the Star Wars franchise is Andor <clears throat> which is a prequel to a prequel so the prequel was Rogue One which is an interesting story about that Rogue One I like that movie it's my favourite Star Wars film Um a hairdresser who was working on the original Star Wars movies when I, there's a line in one of the movies where a character I think it's Princess Leia and she says make sure you, you do this right or whatever it is a heavy price was paid to get these plans it was the plans for the Death Star so this guy was working away and, and he, he'd read the script or he'd heard them rehearse and, he th- and that line just spun around in his head and he wouldn't let it go and he said, what, what, what price was paid? What does that mean? And apparently then he wrote the script Rogue One, him and a couple of others I think. That's what I heard anyway. So, uh, which is obviously about them and getting the plans for the Death Star. So Andor is the main character in this new TV show which is a prequel to that prequel which is odd, going back ways. But as with, the, with all these TV shows that are coming out now, they're all fucking horrible. They're awful, and they're killing the the, the canon for me anyway. They're killing and they're killing those franchises. Um. Uh, but this is an exception. This is really fucking good, and if you like it, it's it's slow burden stuff, darker. You know, doesn't have the pew pew of the the original Star Wars movies. Doesn't have that sort of child friendly. It's very, it's a bit dark. People die and shit, you know. Um, so I watched it. I'm going to watch it again because I'm going to binge it because I was, was watching it as it was getting dropped every week, and um, so I want to binge it. And I'm going to do that when I get a chance soon. It's really, really good. So here's this article that that I, that I found and. The latest Star Wars episode is directly based on an IRA funeral. Huh. You don't say. Well, he fucking does. Andor has provided a hit with critics and audiences alike during its run on Disney+. Plus. It's now provided a very strange happening indeed. A Star Wars IRA funeral. Kinda. Princess Leia's in the ra. Season 1 of Andor has just concluded on this streaming service and some mild spoilers will accompany this article. If I get a spoiler, I will not read it to you. And the finale brought with it a pivotal decision for the lead character, Cassian Andor, that further connects him to the events in Rogue One. We've still got another season of Andor to go, but for now, let's get to the whole Star Wars IRA funeral thing. During the course of the season, Cassian's adoptive mother played by Irish actress Fiona Shaw, succumbs to illness and passes away. Well, that was a spoiler, but yeah, that happened. Her funeral takes place in the season finale, and as fate would have it, the procession was directly inspired by the Irish Republican Army. Let's have showrunner Tony Gilroy explain. The first comp is somewhere between those epic provisional IRA funerals. God, there's footage of some of them, and it's just incredible what these funerals turn into. And the other comp is a New Orleans second line funeral procession the joy and soul of that so those are the two comps 
There's also the idea of civic organisations like the Daughters of Ferrix and the Community Orchestra of Aspirational Musicians. That's, okay. So you can see all the different people in the town, but that's where it all came from, and there's a picture of it on the screen. Sadly, the journalist opted not to press Gilroy on his apparent fascinations with epic IRA funerals, proof positive that those lit, lit, that those that literally anything can make it into the Star Wars universe. So there you go. There you go. Just just a wee thing. Just thought you'd like to see that. It's interesting, isn't it? And I think the thing that I want, uh, you know, the whole idea of the where creativity comes from, where ideas come from. I was watching a great sketch the other day, and it was, it was, um, um, oh God, what's his name? The American comedian. He died a few years ago. Ah, uh, I can't remember. I forgot his name. It'll come to me. But um, basically, he's this sort of this little chat show, and he keeps asking the guests, you know, where do you get your ideas from? <laughs> Which is a bullshit question, and they all just tell him to fuck off, and, you know. Um, yeah. So it's it, that, that wee germ of an idea, and then it, he ran with it, and he turned it, and eventually he ended up making what I think is the best movie in the whole Star Wars universe. But there we go. That's me. I'm done. Uh, don't forget like, share, subscribe, um, and hit, follow me over on Twitter, and the Instagrams, and the YouTubes, and if you want, you can lend me your support for as little as a pound a month. And colonialism, was it really that bad? <laughs> I can't believe that fucking video. Seriously, can you actually believe that that was a thing that happened? It's pure mental.